Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is Reality Check Radio, Wednesday afternoon. Time now to introduce a man that I've known for a very long time. In fact, we used to broadcast together back in the 80s and early 90s doing cricket commentaries. I mentioned him on this radio station not that long ago because in his youth he flattered with a guy called Imran Khan. Imran Khan went on to become Prime Minister of Pakistan. He's currently in jail. Thankfully, my next guest has never been anywhere near a jail, but he was a fair cricketer in his time, played for New Zealand. In fact, he captained New Zealand in a test match once, John Parker. Uh, do you remember Imran Khan when you lived together in uh, Worcester all those years ago? I do, very clearly. Imi and I got on very well, and he was... 19 and or 18 and I was 19 he was at King's School in Worcester and he came to me and said I've got an action but I'm only a medium pacer I want to bowl fast so I said okay then let's go down to the King's School gym with tennis balls and I showed him how to bowl fast you showed him how to bowl fast you were a batsman you were never a fast bowler were you what did you know about fast bowling (laughs) <laughs> but if that's the case, no bowler can ever coach batting and no batter can ever coach bowling. But it's just all basic principles. My body wouldn't do what my head said you should do. And we got him to do things and he became the bowler that he was and he paid tribute to all those sessions in the King School gym in the first book he wrote. So we had a lot of fun. He was a very enthusiastic uh, social uh, spirit. And but very young and wasn't the the handsome fellow that he turned out to be. He was very gawky and awkward, but as I say, very enthusiastic. Were you surprised that he went into politics, went back to his homeland and became the most eminent politician in his country, the most popular politician in his country? And I, I suspect he probably still is, except that a lot of people are very jealous of him. Wasn't surprised at all. He was a passionate fellow, Emmy, and he was 100% of whatever he believed in at the time. He believed it 100%. And if you could change his mind like a bowling action, he then believed in that 100%. And he always believed he had a mission, I think. And his mother was ill with cancer and she ended up dying and he built a hospital. So He enjoyed the pleasures of the Western world and felt that he could improve things in Pakistan. He wasn't keen on changing Pakistan to the Western world, but there were many things that he thought Pakistan could improve uh, and take from the Western world, and I'm sure he was on a mission. Right. Well, we are not here, John, to talk about (laughs) days gone by and flatting with Imran Khan in Worcester, but the point is, you played cricket professionally for a long time. Uh, after cricket, you spent uh, your professional life in sport and in exercise. You were chief executive for a long time of Sport Waikato. And I remember when we were broadcasting together 30-something years ago, you made a big play of the fact that you were looking to introduce exercise, not necessarily sport, but introduce exercise to people from the very earliest days of life. And it occurs to me that we have a health system in crisis and we have hospitals overloaded. And I just wonder how much of that do you think is down to the fact that 
A lot of New Zealanders don't get much exercise these days, and what's more, they eat terribly, uh, so therefore we have the obesity crisis. And I just wonder, as we look upon New Zealand society, should we be looking to put back into New Zealand society the concept of regular exercise, almost in a, in a regulated system? How do you think that would go these days? Well, it should go very well, as it should have 36 years ago when I failed to get a, all those programs across as national programs. But, of course, we should be getting people more active and uh, out there in the community. There are many spin-offs, and what sport has done very poorly has sport hasn't really realised its benefits. We think winning and losing are the issues in the economy or the sporting economics, that's the issue, but it's not. The real benefits are societal benefits of people, how they mix together and how they cope with winning, how they cope with losing, how they cope with getting in the team, how they get, how they cope with not getting in the team and how you mix and how you greet people and meet people. There are all those things that are the major benefits of sport. And we really haven't got that emphasis anymore. We're focused on the best and the money and the, all the mercenary antics that sportsmen get up to these days. And numbers are decreasing in schools. We don't have phys ed teachers anymore in schools to any great number. And we really should be looking at the top of the cliff activities, not the bottom of the cliff activities, certainly in health. So what are you suggesting that politicians should do in terms of getting exercise back into the New Zealand population's way of life? Do you say, in fact, did you have programs when you were running Sport Waikato that you had newborn babies involved in some very basic form of exercise, preschoolers, toddlers, certainly primary school kids, getting them doing exercise on a regular basis? Should they be doing that beyond their normal their normal play activities? Well, their normal play activities have decreased also. You know, over these last three years, we were told to stay inside and keep out of the fresh air. For goodness sake, that's New Zealand's benefits. That's the a cure-all to a lot of things, fresh air and, and the sun. And so even before that, play habits uh, decreased in New Zealand. And what we did was bring highlight those issues from the day you're born. Obviously, they weren't kicking balls around or smashing the ball through the covers or playing golf, but they were doing appropriate things to babies. And we created a Kiwi Baby program. And in that manual were things that babies did anyway. But if you thought that they were crawling, well, they were actually exercising. And then when they lifted up and sat on their little nappies, they were exercising their stomach muscles and their side muscles and their back muscles. So everything a baby does, you could interpret it and look at it through the lens of physical activity. And so if they were encouraged, then the baby would be more able to be active later on. And what we found out was much to our surprise that the family unit benefited so much from that baby program, that dad, realising that the baby was preparing for sport, got interested at an early age and, and really led the baby into those Kiwi baby manuals and got very enthusiastic about the development of their, of their child or their children. So it really became a parenting program as much as a Kiwi baby, Kiwi toddler and Kiwi preschool program. It was fantastic. And we sold it to the Scottish government, but we couldn't sell it to the New Zealand government.
So did the Scottish government pick it up and run with it? And as a consequence, was the Scottish population healthier because of it? Well, they call it play at home in Scotland, and we I don't know all of those details, but they're certainly doing better in the sporting field. And we started Kiwi Baby in 1990, and so that's 33 years ago, and they would have got it in about uh, 2000, so they've had it 22 years. So that, their first babies will be adults and will be athletes on the international stage, I'm sure. Our records that we had, the surveys that we did on the program were absolutely extraordinary. And they, were, they wasn't about pushing people. It was about getting them in a physical state that was appropriate to their, their developmental years and giving everybody the opportunity to achieve what they wanted to achieve later in life. So you saw the results around Hamilton, around the Sport Waikato area. You could you could have quantifiable results from these programs. Well, we had parents uh, giving their views on how it had, had affected them and their families, and their response was just amazing. We had no negative comments at all, and some of the parents were just so enthusiastic about the focus that they had with their children. They had purpose. When they played with their children, they introduced a new concept, a new line of thinking, and the results were spectacular. So what's not to like about this? Why couldn't we have had this <laughs> rolled out nationally? What was the problem there? <laughs> well, I, I, I've got to say we ran into a bit of bad luck, really, because Jim Bolger was very important, uh, very keen. Uh, then Jenny Shipley was keen and uh, Bill Birch with Jim Bolger, he was very keen. And they every time you get them keen on something, they change portfolio or they get voted out. Helen Clark was very keen. She was very enthusiastic. But it just ran up against a brick wall. I think, as we all know, bureaucracies in New Zealand are dreadfully difficult to move because they've got their little award-winning political party to really give it a push because that New Zealanders now, after what we've been through, are craving more community activity, more interaction, uh, gaining of more skills. They really are very keen on doing more things together. So it's it's a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity. I just wonder then, as you look at the the population of New Zealand at the moment after what we've been through in the last three years, and we know that there are more sick people than there were before. Do you believe that right now is an opportune time for some forward-thinking politician or forward-thinking political party to actually put in place something like this if they can get through the bureaucracy? Well, we had programs from the first day of life to the, to the end. So it was an all-of-life concept. And it certainly would be fantastic. If you push these things aside for five years, well, you've lost five years of people. So you've got to start it as soon as you can, and therefore you impact as many people as you can. And it would be wonderful if a group, a political party, did that because programs have the potential to influence and assist every New Zealander to have a better life, not necessarily a longer life, but a better life, to have more interactions and to learn many more things through sport. And we're not talking about people playing for the All Blacks necessarily, are we, or playing for the Black Caps or 
in the the football ferns or whatever. It's not. It's not about elite sport. It's about participation. Even if you're not any good uh, at, at at sport, you can still have some fun. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have proved that over the years, haven't they? Well, well, it's the old thinking of if you have a wide base, you're top of the pyramid. The All Blacks or the Black Ferns or the golfers or whoever will be better because they've had to come up through more people. Therefore, their competitive juices will be developed better uh, through experiences and guidance, and they will be better. But the impact really has to be at that grassroots level, as we say. And the offshoot of that is that more people being active, doing things that they want to do to the level that they want to do it, everybody's included in the whole program. And therefore, you actually have more spectators, you have more coaches, you have more everything else because they have had some input or some experiences of a program that includes everybody. At the moment, we have declining numbers of sport in secondary schools, and then we wonder why crowds are diminishing. Because yeah. less and less people have an empathy with high-level sport. Yeah, less and less so people are interested, it, yeah. Absolutely. So the whole thing falls over because that base, that base of the pyramid is not wide enough. And it's it's sad, it's disappointing, but it's never too late to get it back on the rails. And and an and enlightened politician and political group, if they took it up, I'm sure a lot of people would would take would pay attention because they're just sick of all the negative things that are going on, all the things that have happened through the last three years, the misconcepts that they've been promoted, and they just want to get on and have a healthy life. Because that's the most staggering thing about what has got on in the last three years, John, isn't it? That we've had this virus going through society we've had a lot of people get a bit sick uh, some people have got sicker than others but there has not been to my knowledge any any education no no program from the Ministry of Health from Health New Zealand from the old district health boards no program no promotion about how to not get sick about how to eat properly, how to exercise properly, to take part in sport, to get plenty of fresh air, go for a walk, even to supplement your diet with vitamins. None of that stuff's been put about, has it? It's all about stay home, keep away from other people and get vaccinated. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only solution they've provided. And it's, it's just nonsensical, isn't it? And even pass a bill so that therapeutics can't be used. <laughs> yeah. So all of those all of those sorts of things are very weird and uh, all that information's out there for people if they want to find it. And there's no excuse for people with this election coming up afterwards if they are not happy with the result. There's no excuse for people to say, I didn't know, because all the information's out there. And what you say is right. We were encouraged to do the opposite as to generations past, what they were encouraged to do. And we will reap the benefit of that in many negative ways. And we need, as we're chatting, that we need it all to be reinstated. Well, lots of politicians, lots of political parties are putting stuff about at the moment that they want to entice people to vote for them on, uh, their various policies in all sorts of fields, whether it be in tax or whether it be in cost of living 
fact, there's even been some health policies about, but I don't know whether or not they're health policies, John. I, I suspect that they're sickness policies more than anything, aren't they? The, the, the whole concept of promoting health is just not there, and, and that is stupid when you've got a health system, as we all know, which is really struggling to cope with our population. So it seems that, I think the line you used before, the ambulance at the top of the cliff, surely any any logical thinking politician would look to put those sorts of policies in place, wouldn't they? One would think so. So let's see what ha- see what happens because so many policies don't affect everybody, but a sporting physical activity policy would affect everybody and it just might be a significant breath of fresh air for everybody leading up to an election if some party grabbed it and, and ran with it. Do you see any party that that might do it? Because after all, there's a whole lot of political parties having a pop at uh, trying to get over the 5% or trying to get a seat. The, the so-called freedom movement has spawned a, a lot of little parties. Have they really got any chance of, of uh, getting into parliament? I would say the answer is no. So is there any way, do you think that they that they can get together or, or what should people do when looking to, to put their vote somewhere that, that might count in terms of health? An interesting piece came across my desk a few days ago and basically what it said was since MMP started 30 years ago, 85 new parties have begun in New Zealand. Most have completed one campaign and didn't put anyone in parliament before they disbanded. 25 have had a member in Parliament before they disbanded after one term. Being a political party is a long and arduous process. If your minor party vote doesn't get your party stroke candidate into Parliament, your vote is reallocated to a major party. This is electoral law. In 2020, this occurred to 225,000 votes. Labour benefited with five seats and national three seats. I'm not sure how that maths worked because didn't national get more votes than Labour last election? But anyway, they're they're allocated to... that was the election before that. The last election, uh, Labour got considerably more votes than national. You're thinking 2017. (laughs) (laughs) I am too. I've got Alzheimer's badly. Uh, the Yes, you're right. So therefore, that is right. What was sent to me, Labor benefited with five seats and National benefited with three. So therefore, the minor party voters put Labor in, helped get Labor in. Mm, well, those votes, yet, uh, they, di- those votes are distributed uh, proportionately, the 225,000 votes that uh, you might say were, were wasted votes uh, because they didn't... That, well, they went to parties that didn't get seats in Parliament, so they were then distributed proportionately. But obviously, ACT, Greens, and certainly the the Maori Party uh, didn't get a, a cut of those votes. They must have gone only to the two major parties, Labour and National, uh, which does seem a little strange considering that ACT did pretty well last time. But I, I get your point: is that uh, if people want to want to make their vote really count, you've got to think seriously about whether or not the party, the person you're voting for, has actually got a chance of getting in. I mean, that's that's a very key thought you should have in the polling booth, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's where one of the groups that I know you people on RCR 
have interviewed, and that's uh, Voters United are doing a wonderful job. The concept of what they're doing is great. What they're doing is doing some surveys on, on their registered members saying who would you vote for in the minor parties, and what they're trying to do is tell those members which party people are going with, and then just pre-election, they're saying, well, look, this is the party, one party. Because the other issue, the other interesting point is with the little parties, most of their policies are similar, the same, whatever. They're along the same path. They're designed to achieve the same things. And so Voters United are saying, well, this is the party where your vote will count. If you stay with your other little parties, your vote won't count. And in actual fact, your vote might go to National or Labour. So that's something I didn't know that. I'd been around for a year or two like you, and I didn't know that. I think people would be mortified to think that if they voted for a little party that didn't get in those 225,000 votes, those 225,000 people I imagine would be mortified to think that their votes actually went to Labour or National. Yeah, well, that so is about four percent of five percent of the population, isn't it? Two hundred and twenty-five thousand people. If we've got five million, five million uh, in a population of which what three and a half million votes. So it's actually higher. It's a higher proportion of the electoral roll than it is of the population. Uh, so yeah, Absolutely. you're talking upwards of uh, gee, not quite ten percent, but pretty close to the total vote, isn't it? Because I think there were 3 million votes or pretty close to 3 million votes last time around. So pretty close to 10% of the vote uh, is then spread around proportionally amongst the other parties. And, the, and you know, people would be really disappointed because uh, they've done the, the work to try and vote in alternative parties to the major ones, but then you find out that your votes have gone to the major ones. <laughs> So I would imagine people would be very disappointed. So the message is that they've got to be very, very sure their vote is going to have maximum effect. And Voters United are doing a wonderful job in telling people who the majority of their members, not all New Zealanders, who their members are going to vote for, therefore giving all the rest of the members an indication of who they might vote for to get maximum effect with their vote. So how are you feeling about this election? Are you desperate for a change of government in this country? I've always voted national, I've got to say, but I'm not going to do that. And I'm looking around for an alternative, and there's some wonderful stuff coming out from all the minor parties. But then you sit back and think, well, hang on, how... Will they do if they got in? Will they get in? That's question one. Two, how would they function if they did get in? And then the third one is how many of them will get in and what impact will they have? So you have to ask yourselves those. And I think that in this environment we're in, somebody like Winston, uh, he's the he's the master operator. You've got to say I've never voted for Winston before. As I said, I voted National, but you had to admire his survivability. He survived, and he knew he knows the issues. He communicates very well, and he knows what happens in the corridors of power. 
And if he gets good support from good people, that Winston, like all of us, is not getting any younger. And if good people supported him in this election and took over the reins next elections, you've got a strong alternative for New Zealanders to to support. So I'm at this stage, I am supporting Winston. And the majority of people that I talk to that say, oh, yeah, he can't, can't support Winston, what he did last time. If they hear his explanation as to what happened in 2017, was it? What are we up to? Yeah, 2017. When he, you know, 2017. The National Party won the election, 44% of the vote. Labor had 37. He went with Labor. So it was a case of two and three beat number one when it came to forming yeah. the government. And so a lot of people haven't forgiven him for that. But in actual fact, when you hear his explanation as to what was happening, then it is acceptable. You may not agree with it, but it's acceptable. And in his term, in that term when he was Deputy Prime Minister, Labor didn't do much. But they clearly were doing a lot behind the scenes and not telling him. And he said on a number of occasions that they didn't tell him everything that was going on. And that also is evident in what's happened since. Indeed. Since the government have been able to do things by themselves. They, yeah, no handbrake. Them. No handbrake from Winston. What about, though, the relationship that he has with David Seymour, which we know is, well, let's say, if, if you call it frosty, I think you're understating it somewhat. They don't appear to like each other in the slightest. And Seymour says he won't be part of a government with Winston. Yet you could have, I mean, on the poll that came out earlier this week, uh, you had National and ACT being able to form a government together. Uh, but if Winston gets up to, if New Zealand first get up to 5%, he will surely want to be in the government somewhere, wouldn't he? In the coalition, possibly in the cabinet. So how do you, uh, how, how do you um, work out how New Zealand first and ACT can coexist? Well, one, one would hope that egos are put aside and things need to be rebuilt on behalf of New Zealand, the betterment of New Zealand, one hopes. If you also look at the information that came out last night, weren't there 12% undecided? Yes, there were. And that's, that's an awful lot of votes. The other thing that you never hear being discussed is uh, overseas votes. Yeah, most people that have left New Zealand and I don't know too much I've got to say about, about international votes, but there's an awful lot of New Zealanders overseas, and you would think the majority of them believe because of what's happening in their own country. And so have they been surveyed? You know, what's the feeling there? And how are they monitored to make sure they're counted properly? And so there's a whole lot of things up in the air, and... One would hope that David Seymour, why can't he work with Winston? What is he frightened of? Surely what's better for the country comes first. And New Zealanders don't want to hear of politicians bickering and, and arguing. They've had enough deceit and deception over the last three years. They want people who are up front and keen to work for New Zealand. Of course they do. The irony is that Seymour and Peters have very, very similar uh, attitudes towards one of the, I think, one of the defining issues of this election, that being co-governance and uh, the place of Māori and iwi 
in the New Zealand society. I mean, Peter's is very proud of his Maori heritage, also very proud of his Scottish heritage. But his party is called New Zealand First, and he first and foremost wants the country to be, he wants it to be New Zealand, not Aotearoa. He doesn't want it to be separated uh, along racial division and act to playing the same game. So therefore, they're thinking exactly the same, and these are two men with Maori heritage. Uh, it seems strange that they can't get on because they've got common ground on that issue, but then maybe they're after the same voter. Perhaps that's the, the root of their disagreement. But, but even if that was the case, that David's team seems to be polling around the same numbers all the time. So maybe that, uh, you know, he's fairly secure. And if Winston grabs all the, the smaller party vote because they get eventually get in behind them or whatever happens, let's hope that does happen, then, you know, they all coexist, the three of them. So you would think that he would be able and be portraying that he can work with Winston. The, the issue, too, is that people just don't want... They're sick and tired of people bashing and they want people to get on with that. And maybe mm. what Seymour's doing plays into Winston Peters' hands. Maybe people are thinking, I want that. Peters is saying all the right things. We know what he's like. Uh, he gets things done. He stopped the therapeutics bill going through Parliament uh, on two previous occasions. And he gets things done for us. And for old people know. like us, John, uh, there's still the gold card. <laughs> I don't know how often you use it. I don't use it all that often, to be perfectly honest. But uh, it is there, I suppose, as something uh, for the OAPs of this world. I just want to pick up on something you said when you talked about the overseas votes. You said, how do we know if they're counted properly? Do you actually have, have uh, issues? Uh, are you not totally trustworthy of the integrity of our election system? I'm not. I'm not a uh, supporter. I don't have uh, got any trust in any country's election system. Uh, you know, uh, I'm one of those people that were brought up that you just tell people how it is. And, you know, if it happens this way, tell people, show people. If it's got nothing to hide, why hide it? And... There's just too many dodgy things in elections, too many strange things happen around the world in elections. So I want to be comforted that elections are proper but, and honest. But we, we do things differently in this country. Every, every party or every significant party has scrutineers in the, the voting booths. We don't vote electronically. We still vote on paper for a reason because we, we don't frankly trust electronic voting systems and look at the problems that's caused particularly in the United States. So we vote on paper, we count on paper and the parties have scrutineers at the voting booths to ensure that the numbers that are put forward through to the headquarters are the correct ones. Why would you have issues with the integrity? Because it doesn't, it, it, it's never been raised as an issue in this country before about this, any dishonesty or, or um, lack of integrity in our voting system. 
I hope what you're saying is exactly here and the people concerned are very, very honest. I would be very happy if that's the case. But going back to the international votes, what's the process there? So, some people say that there's 5 million New Zealanders overseas, the population of New Zealanders overseas. Yeah, they don't all vote, no, though. I, I mean, I've got a daughter who's no, lived right. in London for the best part of 20 years, and I, she votes in England, so I don't think she'd vote in New Zealand. I'm pretty sure she doesn't. If she does, she'd vote well, Labour anyway. She, I haven't brought her up properly. I, I don't quite know. She's not vote Labour or Greens, which is even worse. But have <laughs> you, well, maybe we shouldn't let them uh, vote. But but they, they should be able, of course, to vote for who they want. But a lot of New Zealanders this year have gone to Australia because of the issues that they feel are rampant in their country, in our country. So that process is not clearly explained, and I think a lot of New Zealanders wouldn't, like me, wouldn't understand how that international vote happens. Because you know, even if there's 100,000 votes, it's still two or three people in Parliament. Oh, indeed, indeed. What are your thoughts about the leader of the National Party? Rookie MP, first term, heaven forbid, the polls are suggesting he might become the Prime Minister. I mean, it would be an absolutely spectacular rise from backbench at a Prime Minister inside three years. He's not Mr. Charisma. How the heck has this happened? How, how, what, what do you put down to his dramatic rise to what could be the most important job in the country? Apart from the All Black Coaches job, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it's uh, similar to the former prime minister, isn't it? The one before this prime minister you know, came out of nowhere and with very little background. Uh, Luxon's got a business background, but uh, I've had a career in sport, as you said, and the answer to everything people promoted was to get business people involved. Well, I never, ever came across a business person that solved anything in sport. Uh, they had input into things, but the, the the truly successful business person was too busy out there being successful. And so never really, I never came across any in sport that really changed anything around. The sport thought they were going to bring sponsorship to sport and they were going to fix all the monetary woes. Well, not didn't happen very often, and I certainly... In my consultancy that was based in Ireland and based in New Zealand, after I left sport, I got it. We never came across any situations where businessmen cleared everything up. And so businessmen and politics, it's an interesting mix because, as you say, he's new to politics. He's clearly got issues with politicians or being a politician. And it's an amazing rise. It, uh, you know, there's so many questions that people have uh, about Mr. Luxon. Yes. Uh, in fact, his, I mean, there's a meme going around at the moment about his supposed lack of knowledge of the World Economic Forum. Well, as somebody else has pointed out, didn't he once work for Unilever, which is one of the main funders of the World Economic Forum? And he was at a pretty high level. Inside Unilever, he wasn't the worldwide chief executive, but he was what one of the big wigs in North America. It seems strange that he looks to dismiss uh, any connection with the World Econ Economic Forum, saying something like, oh, it's a meeting they have in Switzerland, isn't it? Uh, 
It just seems a little disingenuous to me when he says that. Well, there's a number of those associations that the present crop of politicians struggle to answer. Their relationship with the UN, uh, the 2030 agreements and the 2050 agreements, the WEF, uh, or the WHO, all of those relationships are not made clear to New Zealanders. And I think New Zealanders deserve to know that. We're running into huge debts around what has happened over the last three years. And New Zealanders deserve to know. New Zealanders also should do their own homework. All the information's out there on the WHO, on their websites, and the UN, and the WEF. And New Zealanders need to look up these agreements that they want countries to sign up to. And it's important for us to retain our sovereignty and New Zealanders need to know before it's too late. So you're a little bit suspicious too then of these World Health Regulations. I think there's another meeting about those and Ashley Bloomfield is one of the, uh, the chairs of, the, uh, of, of this subcommittee of the WHO, which is putting together these international health regulations. Aren't they having a meeting in New Zealand sometime soon uh, as the, the process to get these things in place continues? I think it's at the end of September, I believe, on the research that, that, that I've done and seen. Uh, and it's, all these are unanswered issues that the, the media doesn't seem keen to tackle it. And the politicians certainly aren't putting people's fears at, at ease. And so the more they don't answer them, the more people get concerned. Yes, it's... Uh... It's certainly a worry. What's your overall feeling about life in New Zealand at the moment? I know you've spent some time living in England when you played cricket, but are you, and, and as you say, you worked uh, subsequent to cricket uh, in, in Ireland. Are you, are you happy about the direction the country is traveling in or are you most unhappy? How would you place your view of the country at the moment? I've got to say that there are a number of options and where we're heading with financial debt and the requirement from this government to increase taxes, the pressure on farmers, the educational issues, the health issues, the hospital issues, the justice issues, the rising crime, the housing issues, the roading issue. It's got to be a concern to New Zealanders. And I don't mix with anybody that hasn't got concerns and they have all got questions and they're just not getting the answers. The, the problem too is that the parties that are coming out with their policies, how do you believe parties who have uh, given you misinformation in the past, are accusing everybody else of misinformation. But if we go back over the last three years, there's a lot of information that has turned out to be inaccurate. And how do you believe the next batch? And so there are major issues. And I obviously feel for our younger generations and all those things are important to older people. And we certainly have concerns. You don't sound overly optimistic then. Uh, what about your feelings regarding 
the health system and the way the country has been bossed around, particularly during the bad days of uh, 21 and early 22. I mean, it's a bit better now, admittedly, but it was pretty bad there for a while, wasn't it? But you have to think, you know, is that the end? You know, what else is around the corner? You know, you, you just don't know. There's, there's, a, there's an airy feeling, isn't there, of how did that happen that we've just been through? How did all that happen? And, you know, is there anything else? We, we're not getting any pleasant, positive vibe from anybody that everything's under control and our sovereignty's firm and there forever. And the reason all our forefathers went to war and fought for freedom, all that secure. Why do you think there's no? Yeah, why do you think the New Zealand population can be can be manipulated so easily? Because that's essentially <laughs> what happened, wasn't it? In twenty twenty, stay home, save lives, be kind. I mean, when you think about it now, it was it was nonsensical. And okay, we went through the first two or three months, but then it kept on it kept on happening. And thankfully, I didn't live in Auckland during 2021, but that must have been horrendous for the three or four months they went on or they had that lockdown up there. But why were we able to be manipulated and made so fearful? It just seems ridiculous looking back now, doesn't it? It does. And there is no doubt in, in my mind, and let's hope that we're not as easily manipulated in the future. Because people, hopefully, will are more conscious of what might have happened. So one hopes that they won't be as easily manipulated the, a second or a third time than they were the first time. Well, we can, we can only hope. Talking of, <laughs> uh, talking of uh, uh, sport, as we have been at various stages this afternoon, no doubt you still keep an eye on the cricket team. Uh, you'd be right, I like you, Dag, with the way that you used to smash the ball all around the park. You'd be right into this, <laughs> this 2020 stuff, wouldn't you? We would have adapted. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but no, it, it's something I don't follow very much at all. And it does break one's heart to see what's happening. It's very commercialized and I have absolutely no problems with them making large amounts of money. But the whole sporting economic model is not one that I that I support, uh, and, and the the cricket, all those things about you know that's not cricket. It used to mean something, but it doesn't seem to mean much at all anymore. And uh, perhaps my generation are all very pleased that we were born when we were. But if we were born, I have no doubt either that if we were born now, we would have adapted as the, if the modern ones were born when we were born, they would have adapted. Yes. And so, so I suppose the, the state of cricket is really personified by what is likely to happen here. When is it in February when a South African team is supposed to come to New Zealand or will come to New Zealand to play test matches, but all the best players in South Africa are staying behind to play a domestic 2020 league. I mean, that surely yeah. just says so much about the state of the modern game of cricket, doesn't 
It does, unfortunately. And I think as soon as the control of cricket went to Dubai rather than England, I think the writing was on the wall. And uh, it, it's very, very sad indeed. And what the future holds, I'm not sure. But we're, I'm very pleased that we were born when we were. Indeed. Well, as a man who has looked after himself uh, physically uh, over, what are you now, 75, 76 years old? You still sound as youthful. 72. 72. Is that all? 72. Oh, I thought you were, were you born in the 50s? I thought you were born in the late 40s. No, 51. Ah, there you go. Uh, there we go. <laughs> but you've always looked after yourself well, and, and you're sounding as youthful as you ever did from the days when we did cricket commentaries together, but you've never been a drinker, you've never been a smoker, you've always been somebody who's been involved with sport and played the game and got a sweat up every now and then, and I guess you are the embodiment of, uh, of, a, of a healthy life, which is what you're, you're trying to say today, if we could get more New Zealanders involved in healthy lifestyles from the time they were born, then the pressure on our health system would not be as uh, as much as it is now. I could have looked after myself better over the years, I'm sure, but I always participated, and I loved the participating, and we've spent our lives trying to do things for the communities we live in and thoroughly enjoyed it. I always think about when this sort of subject comes up, I went on a Winston Churchill Fellowship around 11 different countries and studied their sporting structures and programs and went to Zurich and talked to a fellow at, at Zurich University and he was telling me about a program they had where it was compulsory for all students to take part in sport. And he said we needed an administration bigger than the university's administration to check out all the excuses as to why people wouldn't take part in sport. <laughs> Yeah. And he said, one day we eventually sat down and said, well, why don't we actually make this so enjoyable that people want to take that? So they did. And they did away with all their administration because there was people lining up to take part in things because it was well presented. Well, and it was part of their existence at university. And that's what we've got to get back to, that sport and physical activity are fun. And you get benefits from it and not just physical benefits, you get social benefits and all sorts of things. We've got to get back to that. And we've got to present it with skillful, with the appropriate people who are skillful and their presentations are good. And you know, we don't want to get caught up in all the political sexist things. Just get the best people presenting to the everybody else. The way you talk, John, I mean, you... You played cricket, you were involved in sports administration. Seems to me you should have been in politics. I think you would have ruffled a few feathers and got a few things done. Why didn't you ever do that? I got asked to do that. I'm not uh, surprised. On occasions. Yeah. Uh, but look, uh, the, the reason that I couldn't was that I couldn't support a party if I didn't agree with what they were doing. That was point one. And point two was if, uh, what would I do when I was in opposition? So I couldn't do, couldn't do this. And I also couldn't take part in local politics because if you are part of a minority, you are always going to lose and achieve nothing. So I didn't do that either. Understandable. Hey, it's been great talking to you for the last uh, 
45 minutes or so. Doesn't seem all that long ago that we were sitting in commentary boxes at various places around the country uh, looking out. That's right. uh, Great fun. The great New Zealand teams of uh, of those days. Uh, but thank you for, for joining us. I, I hope, I really hope that some politicians take up your ideas and run with them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Winston goes in this election. It looks like he's got the momentum and it's only in one direction, which is up. So uh, let's just... Uh, Let's just see how, how Winston turns out. But I, I, I really hope that uh, some political party has some thoughts along the lines of yours regarding, um, regarding sport and exercise and the benefits it can bring to the health of the population. I just think that's so important because you'll save literally billions and billions of dollars, won't you? You certainly will. And, you, you know, you, you, we also did run a program Oh, on our daily exercise program, it's daily exercise program for school children. And we ran a trial at a Hamilton intermediate school and the guys there were sporting guys who took it on and they were sort of half wanting, I reckon, for the program to fail. You know, just normal male sporting things. Uh, but they took it on and after 10 weeks or three months or whatever, they, the results came back and they, the attendance of the people involved was 100%. They had no discipline problems. They reckoned their academic performance improved immeasurably and their interaction with other students was flawless and their respect for teachers was exemplary. And so they they couldn't come up with anything, any negatives. Yeah. Despite trying very hard, <laughs> they couldn't yeah. they couldn't come up with anything. The naysayers always want to have uh, some negatives put in the mix, don't they? John Parker, they, an they, absolute absolute pleasure talking with you here on uh, Reality Check Radio. Let's do it again sometime. We will. Thanks, Pete, for your time. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand, with the government constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To revive honest media and support RCR, join our Foundation Membership Club today. To learn more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members.